Good to see you guys today. Thank you for being here with us. We're in this teaching series called We Are Family, which is just a mashup of the word friend and family. And uh, we've been talking about the church and the church community and the purpose of it. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of everyone and the power of ownership. Have you noticed when you own something, you treat it differently? It's like the difference between a rental car and my own car. When it comes to a rental car, you know, I just treat it differently. I don't really care. I'm driving a rental. I hit a curb. No problem. <laughs> Not my, it's a rental, right? Like, it's all good. It's what they're made for. You know, you drop some food in a rental under the seat or whatever. I don't try to pick that out. I don't worry about cleaning up the trash bags because, hey, that's what they're going to do anyway. When we return it, it's a rental. My kids put their feet up on the dash. They love to put their feet up on the dash. I don't care. It's a rental car. Do whatever you want to do. But when it's my car, it's a whole different story, y'all. I'm driving my car, I see a, a pothole in the road, I'm like, oh, that could mess with my alignment. I'm trying to go around that thing. If I, if I see a, a puddle of water, I don't want to drive through that. That'll splash water up on my car, right? People eating food in my car, first of all, I, I try to avoid that at all costs. But, but if it happens and a French fry drive drops down between the seat, I remember, because I'm going to clean that seat. I'm going to get that thing out. I'm not going to leave trash in my car, and nobody is putting their stinky feet up on my dash except my wife. She can do whatever she wants. Everybody else. Oh, kids, you can do that in mom's car, not in my car, right? Because I own it because it's my car. So I take care of it. You know, sometimes people can treat the church community like a rental car. They kind of roll in they don't really own anything. They don't really worry about it. They don't have anything invested. They're not really leaning in. They're just kind of visiting, like in a rental, right? And so they come in, and they listen, and then they go out, and then they do their thing. And, you know, whatever happens to that church community or whatever happens to those people, that's not their problem. It's a rental. But when you own something, you treat it differently, when you own something, you see it differently. A friend of mine told me that his father-in-law was walking in recently um, to Central, and uh, his father-in-law is up there in age. He's got a really bad back, and he looks over, and he's reaching down, struggling to try and reach all the way down to pick a piece of trash up off the ground. And he goes, Dad, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm just doing my part. Listen. You know what that is? That's just a picture of ownership, right? Here's why I think it's important. When we own our faith, when we own our church community together, God grows our faith and he grows our church community. So I want to talk to you about that power of everyone and the power of doing it together. Now, we've been looking at the book of Acts, at the early church community, and seeing how they lived their lives. And uh, we've been looking at that kind of uh, amazing story of how the church grew and thrived. Acts, as you read along, it says 3,000 people were baptized in one day. You read on a little further, it says there were 5,000 men who were part of that faith community in the book of Acts in Jerusalem. So scholars have come along and said there could have been upwards to 20,000 people 
people in that church in Jerusalem that were already a part of that community. It was big, it was thriving, and they were about to have some challenges. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Let's just bring this up on the side screen. Here's what it says. Help me out on the red word when we get there. It says, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Don't you love it? Rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers, what? Complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So this was a time in the ancient world, there was no social network, there was no like net to catch people, and so you had to take care of widows and orphans if the church didn't take care of them, if people of faith didn't take care of them, there was, no, there was nobody else that was going to take care of them, right? So this was a very important deal. And whether it was real or imagined, these Greek-speaking people are like, hey, like, you know, the Greek-speaking widows are being discriminated against for the hometown Hebrew-speaking widows. Y'all treat them better than you do these people over here. And so there's rumblings of discontent, there's murmuring, and there's division in the first church community, y'all, before you even get past Acts chapter 6, which actually encourages me because it just reminds me there, there are no perfect churches, not even the first church, not even the church led by the apostles themselves, the dudes that hung out with Jesus, right? There's no perfect churches because there's no perfect people. My mom always said the church would be a perfect place if there weren't any people in it, <laughs> right? Like, you know, we're part of the problem. We can also be a part of the solution. And so there's, there's drama, there's tension going on even in the first church community. And um, we're going to see how they address that and how they deal with it. But don't miss the miracle. The miracle was people from different languages, backgrounds, races, nationalities, places were already coming together in Jesus Christ and being unified in this faith community. And that's a miracle. It's worth fighting for. So if you want to get the best out of your church experience, if you want to own your church and faith community, one of the things that we can all do is celebrate unity together. Celebrate unity together because it's critical. So this, this past week was my 25th anniversary of when I proposed to my wife, Lori. Not my actual anniversary. I posted this photo up on Instagram and everybody's like, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. And I'm like, well, it's not really my anniversary. It's my propose anniversary. <laughs> I didn't know, guys, when I first got married, like almost 25 years ago, that there were all these dates. I thought you just had one date. Oh no, there's like the day, the time we went out on our first date, the, the, the day we met, the day I told you I loved you. And then, you know, the day I asked you, the proposed anniversary, and then the actual anniversary. Pray for me, man. It's a lot to, and this is the, this is my 25th year. Look, I can, I can forget that stuff on year like eight. But year 25, it's like, oh, this is, this is like the silver anniversary. There's like, there's stuff here. This McDonald's isn't going to cut it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to get, I got a little while to figure this out, but I got to get my game on, you know. 
But you know, what you celebrate tends to be what you kind of elevate in your life. When it comes to our church community, man, we need to be celebrating the fact that we come together united in Jesus Christ. Different backgrounds, different political persuasions, different family units, different parts of the world, different languages, different races, different incomes, different, like, oh, in a world where everything is trying to pull us apart, we come together in Jesus Christ. Lakers fans, they come together. Uh, Giants fans, Dodgers fans, Cowboys fans, Raiders fans, you know, 49ers fans, Eagles fans. Got real quiet there. Did you notice that? Man, it got quiet fast. We all come together in Jesus because what unites us is more important than what divides us. Here's why it's critical. We have a default mode as human beings. I think if you think about it, I'll just speak from my own life. I have a default mode. If I'm not careful, I will slide into grumbling and discontent and murmuring, right? About my leaders, about people in authority over me, about organizations, about the government, about you, you name it, right? About traffic, about going to work, about the heat, about the weather, about all the junk that falls in my backyard from the leaves that my neighbor has that I always have to trim, like on and on and on and on. And here's the thing, those early believers in the first church community, they're rumblings of discontent. The word is like murmuring of discontent. It's a throwback to the word used in the book of Numbers for the Israelites when Moses led them out of captivity and they started to murmur against Moses. And, and murmur, this rumbling, murmuring, this is like a word that is like it sounds, you know, murmur, 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 murmur. Some of you, this is your marriage. Murmur, murmur. Like here we go again, right? Um, I had a friend she used to say, you know, I've been married 60 years, and she say, every day same story, every day same story, all these years. Right? But if you murmur, you can miss the miracle of what God is doing in your life. The early church community. We're in a miracle season. God was literally doing miracles. He was moving and working powerfully. Thousands of people were coming to faith in Jesus. I mean, big stuff was happening, and some of them were missing it. Some of them were missing it. Often murmuring follows a miracle. As God grows your territory, there's more territory that you have to defend, right? Uh, God may give you a spouse, <laughs> Now you have disagreements. God may give you a child. Now you have dirty diapers. God may give you a job. Now you have a thing called a boss, right? And you can miss the miracle in the murmuring. Don't miss the miracle. Listen, if you're part of a church that's struggling to meet the needs of under-resourced people in your community, that's a miracle, even if it isn't going perfectly. 
If you're part of a church that needs to be sensitive towards people from other cultures and other nationalities and all races because you're all on a growth journey together, that is a miracle in a culture always trying to divide us. If you have a church filled with people who struggle with forgiveness, who have old grudges, who need to grow, who need to change, who need more grace flowing to them and through them, that is a miracle. You need to be in that church. You need to love that church. You need to own that church because that church is doing God's work just like the first church did and it's messy right it's messy it isn't it isn't perfect there are going to be challenges and there's also going to be great blessing in fact listen to this if you have first church blessings you will also have first church problems yeah first church blessings don't be surprised if there are first church problems. There's no perfect churches, but I want to challenge you to celebrate unity and to fight for it in the church and to acknowledge it as a miracle and to realize that while none of it's perfect, God is moving and working even in that situation. You'll get a lot more out of your church experience when you celebrate and acknowledge that unity and when you realize you're part of it. You're part of it. you got to own your church. Listen, I would love for you to make central your church home and say, that's my church. I'm going to own it. I'm going to lean in. But listen, let me me finish. But I care more for you and your soul and your spiritual development than whether or not you make central your church home. My challenge to you is this. Make somewhere your church home. Stop dating churches. Commit. Maybe it's time. Right? I get it. You know, I, I understand there's a season where you date. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. I don't like that. That pastor wears that red. That's kind of out of fashion. I don't even know if I like that anymore. You know, like, I don't know if I like that church style or I don't know if I like that. I, mean, I get it. You know, so you go to another church or, or you know, you feel like I'm, I'm just, I don't know if I'm feeling it. You know, so you go to another. Okay, great. But at some point you got to stop dating all these different churches and just commit somewhere. And then don't leave when somebody cuts you off in the parking lot. Don't leave when somebody forgets to call you back. Don't leave when somebody hurts your feelings. Don't leave when Pastor Judd walked right by me and didn't even acknowledge me like I don't even exist. Because I promise you, you guys know my heart, I would never do that to anybody on purpose. Assume the best instead of assuming the worst. Right? Just saying. Celebrate the unity, own it together and lean in. Here's another thought, and that is to share responsibility. Share responsibility. I know when my kids were, um, uh, were, were younger, you know, when summer hit, man, it was about a week into summer, and my kids would be saying the same thing. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored, right? School started up, all the new things, but it wouldn't be long after school started, my kids would come moping through, I'm bored. I'm bored. And I'd always say to my kids, you know what? I'm not responsible for your boredom, right? It didn't work, but that's what I'd say to them, right? You know, they'd be right back at it. But I'm like, you know, find something to do. I don't care. You're bored. Doesn't matter to me one bit. You're never going to have more free time than you do right now in your life. So you better use it, right? 
But I think that's our tendency. Our default tendency when we're bored or we're frustrated is to look around and blame others and want to put that problem on others rather than owning our own responsibility. Sometimes people come into a church and after a while they'll be like, man, I'm just not really growing. I'm not feeling it. I'm not being fed. I'm not sure what's happening here. Y'all, I've been a pastor almost 30 years. I've seen it all, okay? And um, I love people, all kinds of people. I love people that come. I love people that leave. I love people that get angry. You know, like I've been through all of that. But here's what I'll tell you. Like our first default reaction is to blame others, other churches, other leaders, other people. People will come into Central. Yeah, I started coming over here because I left such and such a church. I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) you know, I just wasn't getting fed. And I, you know what I think in the back of my mind, unless something changes, it won't be long till you're not getting fed here either. Right? Because It's not simply, and sometimes God calls us to churches, sometimes he calls us through churches, I get that. But it's not simply about the church community, it's also about me owning my responsibility in it. And so before I blame and leave, I need to really step back and say, maybe, you know, people, I don't know anybody in the church. Well, maybe that's because I haven't made an effort to get to know people. Right? I, nobody called me when I didn't show up for a while. Well, maybe that's because I haven't made an effort to serve and get involved and be irreplaceable in certain ways. Hello? Right? Now, nobody, I've got to own my own part of the responsibility. And so what you see in the first church communities, they get everybody together and they have a church meeting. Now, I've been a part of some church meetings, y'all. They can be scary. In Acts, they're going to get everybody together for a church meeting and they're going to try to share the responsibility. Check this out. Acts Chapter 6, beginning in verse 2, says, So the twelve, the disciples, they called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this, what? Responsibility. We're going to give them this responsibility. Now, there's no implication in the text that running a food program was any less than teaching and preaching the word of God. But the apostles knew, like, this was our unique contribution that we need to give ourselves to. And they're trying to run this food program and take care of the poor, and they're realizing we can't do it all. We can't do everything. And what's happening is nothing's getting done very well, and it's obviously breaking down. And now the Greek-speaking believers are complaining about the Hebrew-speaking believers and their widows are being discriminated against for the Hebrew-speaking believer. And so they go, let's get everybody together. Let's fix this. And they say, hey, let's raise up some people and let's give them the responsibility. A church is only as effective to the degree that it is owned by all of its people. A church is only as effective to the degree that people lean in. It's the power of everybody. None of us can do everything, but all of us can do something. And when we all pull together on the same rope, the impact then is exponential. And so they share the responsibility. I mean, I've never been more proud of our church as what we've seen happen over the last 18 months. Um, When so many food banks and food pantries shut down, the Central family just stepped up and... We've been doing pop-up food pantries um, across cities through all of our different locations. And this is like the 77th week. You may not even realize we're still going strong multiple days a week. Thousands of pounds of food just this last week delivered to people. And it's our amazing volunteers and team that make that happen. 
you know, it's not me. People thank me. I'm like, well, in the early days of the pandemic, I will go out to these food pantries. But I wasn't running these sites. That was a shared responsibility with our amazing volunteers and staff. They were doing the work, y'all. I just show up and shoot the video for it. You know what I'm saying? It was shared responsibility. And it still is. And when our campuses opened back up, I stopped serving as much food as I had been in those food lines. Not because they're not important, but because I knew my responsibilities were now shifting to lead our community and our locations from a spiritual and pastoral sense. And you know what I love about the Central Family? Everybody got that. Everybody knew that. Everybody was cool with that. Because we all have our roles to play. And so my challenge for you is to share the responsibility of your church in some way. And uh, to, you can do it in a couple ways. One way I want to encourage you to pray for your church on the daily basis. Just pray that God will pray for all churches, pray for churches in our city, but pray for your own church, that God will unify our hearts, that he'll bring revival to our hearts, that he'll use us in a powerful way to help others. Pray that God will keep us humble and hungry. Humble meaning it's not about us, it's about Jesus, and hungry meaning we're not satisfied, we're not done. There's more people to serve, more people to reach, more people to impact in our cities. Keep us humble, keep us hungry. Pray that God will keep us pure hearted. Pray that he will protect us from evil and sin and temptation in our lives. We need that. And we need to pray that for one another and with one another. And then the third thing you can do to really um, lean in and own your church community is to own your role, to own your role. Acts chapter six, beginning in verse four. Look at what we read. Let's just bring this up. It says, uh, uh, they're speaking of these individuals that they're going to raise up to take care of this food program that they're running. And they say, we'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our what? Time in prayer and teaching the word. I want you to think about that word time because we all only have so much time, right? And, and we all have 24 hours in a day. So I think two things are true. On the one hand, you make time for the things that are important to you. Some of you are like, I have no time, I have no time, I have no time. Netflix, there's time. <laughs> right, just saying. We make time for what's important to us, but we also have seasons in our lives where we have more time, seasons when there's less time, and we have callings in our lives, gifts that God has given us to do and to accomplish. And so I don't know what season you're in, or what your calling is in your life. But here's what Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10 says. It says, we are God's what? Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You've been created. You're a masterpiece. That, that comes from the Greek word that means poem. You're God's poem. He created you for a purpose to serve and to make a difference. You are called, and those good works have already been planned in advance for you to do. And so do what you can do. For some of you, maybe um, you, know, you can give an hour a week to serve others. Maybe you love kids or youth or, or uh, maybe you just love kind of helping people find their way or their place. Maybe you love to teach the Bible. You could lead a group. There's so many ways you can serve. You can always go to central.family and just click volunteer with us if you want to get in and begin to serve. Maybe it's an hour a week. Maybe it's an hour a month. Maybe all you have is an hour a year. Just do what you can do, right, in this season in your life. 
Um, maybe for some of you, your calling is primarily in the workplace and in the relationships you build there. And it takes all you have just to get to church and show up. And uh, that's a challenge. That's okay. Just lean into that and do what you can do. Own your part. You know, for some of you, the greatest contribution that you're going to make to the kingdom of God in your life, it's going to be financial. Because some of you aren't going to have the time to serve or do a lot of things, but you can help financially make sure the church is advancing and serving the poor and growing and thriving. If that's your role, own your role. It's important. It's valid. They're all valid. One's not better than the other, right? We all just have our lanes, so lean into it and let God show up and use it. But if you start using your gifts in some way, if you'll start owning your role in some way, you'll feel more connected to people, you'll feel like you're part of it, and the impact will be exponential. God says you were, you're like a masterpiece. You're created for the works he's planned for you to do. So when you feel like life won't just come together, God's saying, look, I'm making a masterpiece and you're part of it. When you feel like life has lost direction, God's saying, look, long ago I planned good things for you to do. When you feel tired and worn out and stuck in old habits or lost in old attitudes, God's saying, I've created you anew. You have a new life. You have a great future. And it's more than you could hope for or imagine. When you feel like maybe church just isn't worth it for you right now in your life, you want to stay home, you want to check out, remember that you're not interchangeable. Re remember that, that you're not expendable. You're a unique part of the body of Christ. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us is missing, we all feel it. When one of us has victory, we all win. When one of us is blessed, we're all blessed. So we're in it together. You know, I was reminded of that in a powerful way all week, really. Uh, this past week, a very good friend of mine here at Central, a man named Tony, that uh, a lot of people knew and loved, who served on our staff, uh, passed away. And Tony was the guy that, uh, if you ever kind of saw me walking around the church campus, he was always walking around with me. You know, we would pray for people together. He would help me, like, if I needed to find another volunteer staff person to get help, you know. Uh, if, I, if, I, if there were multiple people that needed help, Tony would jump in and help me. He was just always that guy. So for years at Central, I, the main person that was with me all through our weekend experiences between services was Tony. He's one of the greatest servants in our church community. He's an irreplaceable individual. Everybody that knows him loved him. Everybody that, that knew him loved him and his wife, Christina. Tony came into our church about 10 years ago. He had been through some brutal things in his life. At one point, he was a police officer, and he came upon a car crash. When he got out of his car, to his horror, he realized that the car crash was his wife's car. And both his wife and his daughter died in that crash. And it spun him out for years and years. He was mad at God. He didn't want to have anything to do with God or faith. And about 10 years ago, Tony walked in to Central. And people were nice to him. They smiled at him. They helped him find a seat. Later, when he began to grow in his faith, he began to follow Jesus. They, they followed up with him. They prayed for him. He jumped into first step and began to grow in what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And 
volunteers and staff taught him and encouraged him. And eventually he just served and served and served. He served as a volunteer first. You may not know this, but over half of our quote unquote staff at Central are non-paid volunteers. They just serve for nothing, but really for everything that matters. And that was Tony. Eventually he served his way onto our staff team went to the academy, uh, graduated from the academy. God used him in a powerful, powerful way. Years ago, he gave me something that his son had made. He had an older son that is in uh, prison serving a life sentence. He didn't have access to much. His son actually is uh, now a follower of Jesus and serves the chaplain in the prison area. And Tony gave me this, his son made it in prison for me. It's made out of the cardboard um, the, on the inside of toilet paper rolls and floss and um, it's stained with coffee for the coloring and it's amazing. And for years, I, I keep this on my desk. I look at it. I, I pray for him. I pray for all those who are suffering in prison because the Bible says, remember those who are in prison. But this week, I've been looking at it and I've been thinking of Tony. Here's what I think Tony would tell you today. That serving in the church is always worth it. That leveraging your gifts for others is always worth it. That every single weekend is somebody's first weekend that every single weekend somebody's leaning in for the first time to their relationship with Jesus that there are Tony's that walk through our doors every weekend and we got to be there for them we got to be there for them we got to show up for them because life is short and we never know when our number is going to be called we never know when our time's up it's not based on how old you are. It's not based on life expectancy. Everything is unknown as we move into the future. But when you trust God and you walk in faith, that's okay. Because you know once you've served your purpose on this earth, God will take you home. You know that this life isn't all there is. And so this week for Tony and for Christina, we grieve and we grieve as a church family. But as the Bible says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve, with, but we do it with hope. Wherever you're at in your life today, I want you to remember, we as the church family, we are the body of Christ. We are the called out ones. We are the ambassadors of Christ. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Listen, we are here to introduce people to Jesus and together to follow him. It's simple, but it's powerful, and it works when we all bring our best and we all own our role. I want you to imagine 
a year where literally thousands of people come to experience the love and grace of God in their life, where people trust Jesus for their salvation, where eternities are impacted. I want you to imagine a year where peace is brought into families in a stressful time in our community. Imagine a year where positive friendships are made and experienced together, where people grow in their faith and mature spiritually, where our trust in God goes up. I want you to imagine a year where moms and dads' hearts are turned back to their each other and to their kids, and where their kids' hearts are turned back to their parents. I want you to imagine a year where hundreds of young people make spiritual decisions in their lives that save them years of heartache and pain. I want you to imagine a year where family members and friends break long-term bonds of addiction. I want you to imagine thousands of people receiving food that otherwise wouldn't, go, wouldn't receive food, thousands receiving encouragement that otherwise wouldn't receive it. And listen, all of it is more than possible. It's within our grasp. It's the power of everyone. The church is at its best when we all bring our best. So will you join me this year? Bring your best. Look, own your role. Own, do what you can do so that together more people are impacted for the love and grace, with the love and grace in Jesus Christ in the days we have left. Maybe you're here today and maybe you haven't crossed the line of faith. I just want to encourage you to reach out to Christ and trust him in your life and allow him to move and work. Would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you'd like to follow Jesus, you can begin that spiritual journey by repeating a simple prayer after me. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you in Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just raise it real high. Make eye contact with me just to say you're going to follow God and you're going to trust him in your life today. God bless you guys. Just reach out to him today. Thank you. Bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Good. God, we love you. I thank you for each person just reaching out to you, and I pray you fill their life with your goodness, your peace, your purpose. Thank you for these moments and these opportunities. Thank you for the church, God. We don't take it for granted. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I just want to say congratulations to those of you that made a spiritual commitment. And if you did, uh, please let us know. Just go to central.family, click I've decided to follow Jesus, and let us know you made that commitment in your life. Well, hey, I'm going to ask all of you to stand together with me. Uh, we're just going to close out with a song that we've already sung once, just a response to God to acknowledge who he is and a prayer to God before we go into our week. So our team's going to come now and lead us in this response. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, come on, for 